Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And as you're listening along with us, or you're reading along with us, or you're catching up uh, in your reading plan with us, we love to hear your questions, and so we'd love for you to send those in to infogrove.church, or you can direct message the Facebook page for the Grove Church, either Marysville or Snohomish, uh, so that way we can answer those questions the last Friday of every month. Uh, it's something we look forward to doing. And as I said last week, uh, there is only two more Q&A podcasts happening. So oh, end snap. of November, end of December, get ready, get ready, get ready. Uh, we'd love for you to send in those questions. Yeah. We love, it's, it's, they're just a lot of fun doing yeah, research, fun. Uh, doing a lot of things that maybe we wouldn't look into um, if the questions didn't come in. So make sure to send those in. Even if you're listening to this in the distant future, if the podcast is still going on, we will answer your questions. So uh, with that being said- uh, smiles on our faces. Absolutely. So we're going to jump into uh, Galatians, which is a book that we're wrapping up this week. Last week, we started it up. Um, and I'm just going to talk about chapter six, which is the final chapter uh, of Galatians. And there's this really interesting- uh, this really interesting section where Paul is just kind of talking to um, what we could call- Mature Christians, I suppose. Mature Christians. Um, But I'm just going to read the passage and we'll talk about it a little bit. So Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 through 10, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each other test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in all due season we will reap if we do not give up. Soon then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith." So it's kind of it's kind of interesting um, because Paul uses this uh, this interesting phrase that says, "You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness." So you are you who are spiritual. What does Paul mean by that? And essentially, he's talking about um, Christians who we would call, I guess, in, like in today's modern verbiage, we would just say, you know, mature Christians, um, not necessarily people who have been Christians for a long time, because you can be a Christian for a while and not necessarily be what you'd call a mature Christian. Um, it's true. But the idea is essentially people who are who are well-rooted well in their faith, um, what are the kind of things that they're supposed to do? So he opens it up, with, and I think this is an important thing just for all of us to remember constantly, is that um, the default mode of the Christian is grace and mercy. And the reason- Supposed to be. Supposed to be. Should be in an ideal world. Um, and the reason it is like that is because God has been nothing but merciful and grace-filled to us. And mm-hmm. because of the forgiveness that God has shown us, we in turn need to show that forgiveness to others. Jesus talks about it all the time. Um, so many of the parables deal with that. And then when you read Paul, um, a lot of times that's kind of like the crux of what he's talking about. When he's talking about the gospel, a lot of times when you'll, what you'll notice in the letters of Paul is he'll present the gospel and then he'll say, here's how that applies to you. And he'll talk about salvation. And then he'll say, here's how that applies to others. So in other words, 
if if you are saved, if you've received the salvation from God, here's what that means for you, and then here's what that means for how you treat others. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, uh, the the takeaway in the how you should treat others section is all about because God has shown you grace, you too should show others grace. And so that's the idea, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you, let you who are spiritual uh, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Um, but it keeps going and there's interesting things. Uh, bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or the idea there is there's kind of just this, um, I don't know if it's just American. I think honestly, it's just it happens anywhere where Christianity is kind of like the default as opposed human. to, yeah, human, I suppose is another way of saying it. Um, But the idea that like, you know, we kind of just like, we'll go to church or we'll have Christian friends. And the idea is like, Hey, how's it going? Going good. Okay, cool. And then you just kind of like, you don't Sweet. actually like, yeah. And, and this isn't saying like every single person you meet, you need to have like an incredibly deep relationship with and bear like every single person's burdens in the world. No, but you should. the idea sarcasm. is sarcasm. Uh, but the idea is that when we have Christian brothers and sisters who are really struggling, um, that is not the time to just ignore. Mm-hmm. And I think even at our, um, just, I can think of examples in the church and obviously we're not going to talk about like, like, you know, like them in detail, but like, uh, <laughs> there's people in our church where like, you know, maybe they're having health problems and they're having to go through surgeries or whatever it is. Maybe they're, they're, um, because of issues, they're not able to work for a little bit. Like, you know, what are ways that we can surround? Um, I remember, uh, last year there was a life group where and I thought it was a really, a really cool story where someone's uh, car just completely broke down and they were freaking out about what they're going to do because they didn't have any money. Um, and the life group actually rallied together and, and helped pitch in to buy a car. Like it was, uh, I mean, not a great car, but it was like, you know, it gets you from where it gets you to where you need to go. Yeah. And it was, it was just a really cool, um, a really cool way to look and see, um, God's grace in action with other people is so a way to bear one another's mm-hmm. burdens, not simply to just say like, okay, that, that sucks. I'm sorry. But really to actually like, um, to do life with other people in a really deep way. It's just an awesome thing. And then finally, uh, it just says, uh, so then as we have the opportunity, let's do good to everyone. And especially to those who are in the household of faith. And it's just, it's just a reminder for us that as Christians, um, we just need to make sure we're watching how we treat others and particularly those who are also Christians because there's, and there's nothing, there's, there's very few things that are more of a turnoff to people who are not Christians than when they see Christians just fighting and arguing amongst themselves. Um, And I do think it's something that we need to keep in mind. And it's a great reminder that Paul gives us here in Galatians that if, if we're growing in our faith and if we're being mature, our default mode is grace. Our default mode is caring. Our default mode is always treating others the way that we ourselves would want to be treated. Yeah. And I remember hearing the phrase a while ago from a co-chair at one of the, one of the high schools. Um, but the idea of having the highest good, wanting the highest good for, for someone else is this idea of love and grace. And so, right. uh, it's such a, it's such a challenge because I think we, we are our own priority and, and that's not the picture that, that Christ is painted in the church um, as a whole. So great reminder, great challenge. Um, again, we're reading Ezekiel right now, who's one of the major prophets. Um, and there's a passage here that I, that I actually think is very difficult to read. Um, and mainly because as I was reading it, it's, he's, a, he's approximately the same age that I, I am right now, which is kind of weird to think about this context. And so I'm going to read it uh, and then read a portion from uh, one of the study Bibles I have uh, and then just offer a few simple thoughts. I am in no way able to speak and super intelligently because I'm, I'm not there and I don't think anybody really can. But here's what it says. Uh, chapter 24 says in verse 15, then the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel 
Son of man, I'm about to take the, the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow. But you must not lament. I'm sorry, this is going to be a little bit of a downer. Uh, <laughs> but you must not lament or weep or let tears flow. Groan quietly. Do not observe mourning rites for the dead. Put on your turban and strap your sandals to your, on your feet. Do not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. I spoke to the people in the morning and my wife died in the evening. The next morning I did just as I was commanded. This is a moment where Ezekiel then stops after God has spoken to him. And then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things you are doing mean for us? So I answered them. The word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. So now Ezekiel is speaking to God's people. I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the desire of your heart. Also, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. Then you will do just as I have done. Again, Ezekiel's talking to the God's people. You will not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. Your turbans will remain on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not lament or weep, but will waste away because of your iniquities and will groan to one another. Now Ezekiel will be a sign for you. You will do everything that he has done. When this happens, you will know that I'm the Lord God. As for you, son of man, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. Know that on the day I will take from them, I, on, on that day I will take from them their stronghold, their pride and joy, the delight of their eyes and the longing of their hearts, as well as their sons and daughters. On that day, a fugitive will come to you and report the news. On that day, your mouth will be open to talk with them. You will speak and no longer be mute. So you will be a sign for them and they will know that I am the Lord. And it's interesting that as I'm reading this, it says one of the, I'll just, I guess I'll just read this and then again, comment. It says this, no further references made to date, but the placement of this account next to the Oracle, this is from the commentary or the ESV study Bible that I was using. You're welcome, Evan. Uh, It says making the siege of Jerusalem significant. Ezekiel has performed other symbolic actions, but this must be the most painful. It elicits no protest. Ezekiel has learned that there is nothing God cannot ask of him. He is now about 35 years old and he is told that his wife will die and that he will not mourn. She dies and he complies. People are disturbed, but Ezekiel, but Ezekiel action, this Ezekiel action prefigures what awaits his countrymen in exile with him. One of the things that we need to understand about the prophets is they were called specifically by God to do everything he asked them to. We just spent a ton of time in Jeremiah. We talked through the story of Isaiah Ezekiel is where it starts to get a little bit crazy. Some of the things that God asks him to do. And the whole point of it is God is using Ezekiel, his prophet and and his prophet as replications or reference points to what is coming to God's people as they have rejected him, as they have turned from him and as the punishment and wrath of God is poured out for their rebellion. Uh, And this, this passage, I mean, we'll we'll read a, a, a story of a prophet named Hosea. And I think we haven't, I don't think we've read it yet. Um, the Bible's all blending together at this point, but um, it's just this incredible picture of, of Ezekiel's obedience and willingness to do whatever God asked. This is something I couldn't fathom. I mean, he's about 35 years old. I'm 35 right now. I'll be 36 on Christmas Eve. Shout out to my birthday. But uh, it, Jesus, I, Jesus' birthday. His is on 25th. His is after mine. We That's can funny. shout out him after me. Um, that'll preach. But uh, it's just crazy to think about like, God, if you told me my wife was going to die and then I wasn't supposed to mourn because you want to use my life as a reference point for your people to recognize your wrath and your punishment and to give them an understanding, like I'm going to take from them their pride, their joy. Like I'm pretty prideful about like, my wife is pretty amazing. I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty honored. I'm pretty blessed. I guess that's the right way to say it. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, Ezekiel's willingness 
to do what God asks is what is so overwhelming to me in this passage. The significance of him losing his wife is a big deal. And I don't want to, I don't want to lose like, Oh, we should just do whatever God asks us. Like I'm, I asked Jordan as we, as I was writing my notes for this. And I said, Jordan, if, if God were to tell you you were going to lose your wife, how would you respond? And not to throw him under the bus, but he was like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Cause I don't know how I would respond. Well, yeah, it's not something that you probably, know. but Ezekiel heard it was happening. And, and to his, to his, you know, his, to his credit, he had seen other moments and he had done other actions that God has called him to. But at the end of the day, our job, our responsibility is to trust God's providence, to trust God's sovereignty, his knowledge, his insight, right. and his call and his leading. And so um, it's, it's a very hard picture to wrap our heads around because I think we're very selfish, but I think the other side is too, is like, are we willing to do whatever God asks us to, even if it goes against everything we want and desire? And it kind of, it echoes to me the story of Hosea a little bit where um, God is just asking like similar things where basically their marriages um, are both symbols to the rest of the people of Israel of where mm. they're of, the, of their standing. With well, God. marriage is a big picture in the old Testament and even the new Testament at God's relationship with his people too. Yeah. Uh, and so that even speaks into a little bit of this in some of Hosea. So yeah, it's why there's not a, there's a marriage covenant, not a marriage contract. It's yes. kind of like this. It's a similar, I shouldn't say the same relationship, but it's the similar idea, I suppose, to God's yeah, covenant with true. us. Um, anyway, but moving. Okay, so we're gonna turn completely around. God's here. love endures forever. We're gonna go. We're gonna go happy uh, on this one. Uh, so last week we said we read Psalm one seventeen. This week I wanted to read Psalm one eighteen. I referenced it a little bit. Um, and honestly, as I was thinking about commentary to put into it, it, it really is just kind of one of those things. I just want to read the passage, and I think it's it's really great. It's it's a pretty quick read. It's all like it's quick hits. Um, it, it's very uh, modern in the sense of like there's just like verse course, verse course, verse course. It's kind of how it's structured if you want to view it that way. But it's just a great reminder um, to all of us of God's love and how it endures forever. And it's just an encouragement to the people of Israel to remember that God's love endures forever. So it starts off in verse one and it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let all those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me, surrounded, uh, They surround me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I shall cut them off. They surround me like bees. They went went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of God, of the Lord, does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. 
I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus uses that later. Uh, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords and the horns upon the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And it's just it's just a really great um, also, if you like like '90s worship songs, there's like 80 references <laughs> in there like this. It's like so you true. hit lines. So true. Um, but it is just it's 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 almost like a systematic look at the different ways that God shows love to us as mm-hmm. you as you're reading through it. So true. Um, and like I guess I'll just point out like a couple different ones that kind of stand out to me as we're reading through. Um, but I love the idea that the Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Or in other words, um. I guess it's a similar way of like, you know, a loving parent disciplines their child. Uh, Proverbs says that uh, it is the illegitimate child who is not disciplined or something like that. I, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but it's Evan's th- translation. That's my, yeah, the ESV. So the Evan's standard version. Wait, hold on. Um, but the idea is basically that um, God has shown discipline. He corrects our past, but he does not give us over to death. I love the the language about I'm surrounded but what can man do to me? The Lord yeah. is on my side. It's, so it's just great. And I love that it, it ends it with, um, and I'll just keep, I'll just read it one more time because I love it. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And I just love the language of, um, and it's, it's in revelation 21. I do think like if I, I say beautiful all the time when I'm talking about the Bible, um, because it is a really beautiful yes, book, but if I had to say, um, what I think the most beautiful passage of scripture is, I would say it's in revelation 21 when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And then there's just the, the phrase when it talks about God wiping every tear away from the eye. And then he says, and you will be my people and I will be your God. I think that's just such an incredible phrase that we don't oftentimes think enough about the idea that in the the language there is is um it echoes marriage in a really important way because the idea is i am completely committed to you you are completely yeah. committed to me and i just think like anywhere i see that in the bible the you are my god and i will give thanks to you you are my god and i will extol you i think it's just a really great reminder of our relationship with the, with god it's a great reminder of the love that god has for us and, mm-hmm. and that's why i think it's just it's just a great psalm so that's what yeah. that's what I want to talk about. So there. good. That's a fun psalm to read. Uh, we're going to be reading. Um, oh wait, I skipped my notes. Sorry, I, I'm using my iPad. I scrolled too far. Uh, we're going to be reading, jumping into Ephesians this week as well. Uh, and it is again one of the prison epistles. Uh, I think I referenced this two weeks ago uh, about some of Paul's writing. Uh, so he's, it's again, he's writing while he's in prison. He, he's writing to the church of Ephesus, which is a pretty influential town and city. Uh, it's, I believe it's a port city uh, where there's a lot of industry coming in and out. Um, I'll if, look it up while you're talking. If I'm wrong, then Evan will rebuke me later. So, um, But Paul's ministry is to the Gentiles. That's that's where God has called him to. Um, he When he experienced Christ and on the road to Damascus and his life was changed and he converted to Christianity, uh, he spent time with Jews. He spent time with disciples, 
but his ministry was for the Gentiles. He was preparing to go to the Gentiles to communicate the gospel to them. Uh, and we see this in, in chapter 3, verse 6. It's just one verse I'm going to say very quickly, just to even re- remind us and highlight. Paul's heart is that all people of all nations from everywhere would come to know Christ. And I'm a product of that. I'm a product of Paul's passion and desire and call to preach the gospel to the Gentile world. Uh, and so he says this in verse 3, 6, this mystery, and he refers to the, in chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of the gospel. What's the mystery of the gospel? The mystery of the gospel. Um, and then he says this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. It's a very, uh, it's a very hard thing to understand uh, if, you, if you put yourself in, in, in a first century Jewish world view. Uh, I'm part of God's elect, and I'm part of God's people, and I'm I'm, I'm meant to represent the world to. I'm uh, meant to represent the world. Uh, wait, represent God to the world. Sorry, made to represent God to the world. There it is. Um, and all of a sudden, Paul is going the other way, and even Peter is going the other way because he had this experience where nothing is unclean that I have not called unclean. There was this incredible uh, conversation that God had with Peter, to referring to the Gentile world. Um, and, and it's just a simple challenge and reminder. There's no one that God does not want to be a part of his family. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what we're walking through, but Paul's heart and mission and passion was for the Gentile world to come to know the saving love and grace of Jesus Christ. And we see that play out today, even in your life and in my life. Uh, and we see again, Paul's passion and heartbeat was to see this happen. Was I right? You were right. So Ephesus is uh, located in on the west coast of modern day Turkey on the Aegean Sea, um, and it is beautifully located with a uh, on a small bay that comes in that comes even more inland right onto Ephesus. Yep. So there you go. It's a great port city. Also, I learned that. Um, Taxes rose considerably when the Roman Empire took over the city of Ephesus, and that was apparently a point of contention. So, does it matter? History, gotta love it. No, but, you know, I thought as long as I learned a fun fact, you all might want to learn a fun fact as well. Uh, so, Thank moving you. My forward life forever changed. into First uh, Thessalonians, which I don't know if Thessalonica was a port city, but I'm just going to go with it. I th- most of these are port cities, um, but the... There's an interesting thing here. I'll look it up while you while you talk. Thanks, guy. Um, in verse uh, in chapter five, verses one through eleven, um, Paul actually begins to talk a little bit about the day of the Lord, and I think the day of the Lord is a really interesting. Um, it's an interesting thing to bring up because as we've been going through all of the prophetic books, I, I'm sure you, as soon as I say the day of the Lord, you just think of like everything we've been reading the last month or two, um, whether it be in Joel or Ezekiel, Hezekiah, like not Hezekiah, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, all these, all of these prophets are dealing with the day of the Lord. And so I think it's kind of cool to look at, um, a new Testament perspective. So this is after, uh, the saving work of Jesus Christ has been completed. And so Paul is kind of talking in this context of the day of the Lord. And if you remember from the last time we read through first Thessalonians, we talked about how, um, they were really convinced that Jesus was coming back basically tomorrow. And so Paul kind of has to write and tell him to calm down a little bit. Um, but here's what he says about the coming day of the Lord. And when we say the day of the Lord, we are referring to um, Christ coming back, the new heavens, the new earth, all of these things happening. Um, and it says this, Now considering the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will find and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. 
For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not the, of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and, and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So Paul's kind of writing and he's, like I said, he's kind of telling the Thessalonians to calm down a little bit. But the idea is um, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, which is a weird phrase because we don't say that at all. Uh, today, but essentially, what it means is just unexpected. Um, like it's not, it's not one of those things mm-hmm. that you necessarily see coming, um, and it's a negative thing to a lot of. Uh, if you're if you're not a Christian, the day of the Lord is not something that you're looking forward to. It's true. Um, but Paul says immediately after, you know, kind of reminding uh, reminding them of what's going on there. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And so there's kind of this, this great reminder that. The day of the Lord or Jesus coming back, I guess, if we just want to use that language instead, is something that we should look forward to. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that we should always be prepared for, not something where we should just kind of like try and you know predict the day and then on that day, we're just going to be ready to go. Um, but rather, always be prepared. It says always uh, be awake, always be sober-minded, which obviously that's not saying don't ever sleep, but it's just saying spiritually, uh, always stay awake, always uh, be in control of who you are. And then it says at the very end, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Mm-hmm. Or in other words, as we as Christians are waiting for the day of the Lord, um, that should not be something that makes us stop and just not do anything and just wait, but rather we should continue to live out our lives as best as we can in a way that um, glorifies God here on earth as we prepare for Jesus to come back one day. Yeah, so true. Uh, and then one of the things, we're just to wrap up this week's podcast, we're going to be talking at uh, Jeremiah uh, 40 and 41, as well as 2 Kings 25, which these passages are actually uh, in correlation. They work together. Uh, this is the uh, exile has happened. Nebuchadnezzar has taken over uh, the kingdom, uh, and they are have drawn people to exile. Uh, I don't know how to say his name, Nebuchadnezzar, or however you say his name, one of the, the leaders for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, was given the authority to watch over Jeremiah, uh, and he finally releases Jeremiah from, he, from the chains, and he says, listen, you can come with me uh, to Babylon and be cared for. I will watch out for you, or you can return to Gedaliah. Uh, and so he ends up going to Gedaliah. Uh, they uh, experience uh, Gedaliah is the governor who's been placed in charge, and he's leading the people. Uh, he's got a great response. Um, and then he is warned about something and then doesn't heed the warning. And so I want to read uh, just a uh, few verses out of chapter 40 uh, and uh, just highlight it, I guess. So it says this, verse 9, uh, Gedaliah, son of Ahiakim, son, son of Shaphan, swore an oath to them and their men, assuring them, don't be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well for you. This is echoing Jeremiah's promise to God's people, by the way. As we've read through Jeremiah, Jeremiah was reminding and has reminded God's people uh, to submit to the, the Chaldeans, another uh, another version or another word for the Babylonians, um, to submit to them, to live in the land, serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well for you, which is a little counterintuitive. Um, but God's people says this, Gedaliah says, 
As for me, I'm going to live in Mizpah to represent you before the Chaldeans who uh, come to us. As for you, gather wine, summer fruit, and oil, place them in your storage jars, and live in the cities you have captured. In other words, he's just saying, hey, we're okay. Live, gather the food that you need, and enjoy uh, captivity a little bit, which is a weird way to think about it, but it, he's just saying everything's going to be okay. When And it continues on verse 11. When all the Judeans in Moab and, and among the Ammonites and in Edom and in all the other lands also heard that ki- the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah and had appointed Gedaliah, son of Hiakim, son of Shaphan, over them, they all returned from all the places where they had been banished and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah and Mizpah and harvested a great amount of wine and summer fruit. Now, the real quick side note, God had promised to bring back his people who had been scattered during exile. And we see the promise that God has said and is being fulfilled in, in this passage as well. Uh, verse 13 continues, says, Meanwhile, Johanan, Johanan son of Korea, and all the commanders of the armies in the countryside came to Gedaliah at Mizpah and warned him. And he says, Don't you realize that Balas, king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, to kill you? But Gedaliah, son of Ahiakim, would not believe them. Then Johan, Johanan, son of Korea, suggested to Gedaliah in private at Mizpah, let me, go to ki- let me go kill Ishmael, son of Nethaniah. No one will know it. Why should he kill you and allow all of Judah that has gathered around you to scatter and the remnant of Judah to perish? But Gedaliah, son of Ahiakim, responded to Johanan, son of Korea, don't do that. What you are saying about Ishmael is a lie. Now, the interesting thing is, in this passage, we jump into 41 of Jeremiah, and we actually see that to play out. Ishmael, uh, son, of, son of Nethaniah, actually goes on and continues through with uh, surprising Gedaliah with a bunch of other guys with him. They kill Gedaliah, and they actually even deceive uh, some people coming in. So I believe it's some priests that come in, and they bring him in and say, hey, come in to, to see Gedaliah quickly. And they come in and they slaughter them and kill them as well. And then they head off to Egypt. So Jeremiah now becomes, and we, we'll read this next week. Um, but Jeremiah is still here. He's still present. He's still with uh, these people um, because he chose to return to Gedaliah when he was in Mizpah. And it's just interesting to see as all of this plays out, we're jumping around in Jeremiah now because it's shifted to some topical conversations. Uh, Evan highlighted chapter 44 last week, uh, which I told him after the fact, he's like, why didn't you tell me sooner? I said, because I want to surprise everybody the next week. Um, not really, but uh, it's true. The, but chapter 44 is scholars say this is the last recorded words of Jeremiah's ministry. In other words, this is the end of his ministry in the words that he has re- reported in chapter 44. The chapters that coincide afterwards are recaps of previous conversations that have happened throughout Jeremiah's ministry. But chapter 44 describes and writes out the last words. And so it's just, we see this, this is coming to an end, Jeremiah uh, and the people of Israel. And it's almost as baton is being handed off. I kind of picture it in like the four by four relay. And you have that window of time between one runner to the next runner with the baton. You see this happening between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now they're not actually handing a baton to one another, but you just see the story start to fade out with Jeremiah and the story and the passage that we're reading. But also you see it pick up even as we've jumped into Ezekiel excuse me, recently. Um, and so it's just an interesting passage that you see. Gedaliah is is a great ruler. He, there's there's great providence, there's great provision, um, but he does not heed the warning and does not really, in essence, protect and guard himself, and he ends up dead, and they will flee to Egypt, and the rest will be in Jeremiah. So enjoy that reading. Classic Gedaliah. It's going to be my son's name if I have a baby son. I like it. A baby son. That's a weird. baby son, as opposed to an adult son. 
And on that uh, note, we'll, we'll wrap it up for this week's uh, episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a quick reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our resources and other podcasts at grove.church. Um, and then just do us a favor, leave us a review, whatever uh, device you're listening on. We love uh, getting feedback on how we can improve. Um, we also go five-star reviews because those are awesome and they help. And they help uh, just spread the word of the podcast and grow this community of people reading the Bible together. We will see you all next week. <laughs>